So I'll be reading Hebrews 11, 39 through 12, 4. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask that you would bless your people this morning in the hearing of your word. God, give me strength to, to bring your word clearly and faithfully to the flock. May we be built up. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus as we are called to do here. And may we run with endurance the race that is set before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to frame this uh, this morning in two different ways. Uh, the first, I want us to consider our current context as a church. And then second, I want us to look at an illustration of an unusual race. And I will kind of be weaving in and out a little bit, referring to both of these things throughout the sermon. So first, let's look at our current context as a church. Uh, for myself, there has been a lot of self-reflection over the past couple months as I've been preparing for my sabbatical. I've talked with a lot of you about it. I have asked for prayer at our community group uh, many times over the past few months. And the common theme that I've been asking for prayer for is that I would be able to finish strong, that I would be able to finish this season strong leading up to uh, sabbatical. Personally, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but it feels like the closer you get to something big, it's just easy to check out, right? To like check out on whatever else you're doing because there's this other thing in mind. And I don't want to check out. That's why I've been asking for prayer to finish strong because I don't want to check out. We have four more Sundays in Hebrews before the summer. This has been a great journey through this book. I have loved preaching through Hebrews together with our brothers, um, it has been, it's just been a great deep dive. I hope you guys have been encouraged by it too. Um, but I want to finish strong. We've got four more weeks, okay? Uh, also, there's been some transitional things, some transitional things going on as James gets ordained and as he steps into pastoral role. I want to help him transition smoothly, right? I don't want to just check out these last few weeks and say, well, figure it out, right? <laughs> like, here you go. Um, and for James, the last few months, kind of been this theme of, of finishing strong. Been a lot of us like encouraging him. He's had a lot on his plate with his ordination exams and finishing up seminary. Praise God, finished your paper yesterday. So last paper, that's awesome. Um, so he's, he's done. And um, yeah, it's exciting. So nice job, brother. Uh, for us 
as a church, what does it look like to finish strong these next few weeks? Our community groups are meeting, most of us, like one more time, probably. Our men's and women's times are meeting, uh, maybe, whatever, community groups, maybe two more times, I don't remember. But we're meeting again. Um, so let's finish those things strong. Uh, a lot of us are probably in a, a season with kids and their schooling where the school year is, is wrapping up. So there's this kind of need to finish strong, right, to finish out the year. And uh, college students, Jeff is graduating. So congratulations, Jeff. You know, you got you to gotta finish, finish up strong here. Um, so we are, at, I think at this time of year, we're especially reminded of this need to finish strong, right? It's kind of moving into summer, wrapping some things up. And I think this kind of season that we're in might be a microcosm for the whole Christian life. We are in this leg of the race and we are close to the end. We are seeing this need for endurance, this need to keep running and to finish strong. Okay, so that's kind of our, our context that we're in. The second way that I want to frame this is an illustration of an unusual race. And we've said that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a 100 meter or a 400 meter. Uh, it's not even a mile run or a 5K uh, it is more like a marathon, but not all marathons are created equally. If you've never heard of this, let me tell you about the Barkley Marathons. I see some people nodding. That's good. That's good. I watched a documentary this week that came out in 2014. Uh, and it, interestingly, this whole thing was inspired by uh, James Earl Ray who was the assassin of Martin Luther King Jr. Now, when I say it's inspired by him, this is not in a good way. Um, James Earl Ray escaped from Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in the Tennessee mountains uh, in the, sometime in the 70s. And he only was able to cover 12 miles in 54 and a half hours before he was caught uh, by the, the prison. Upon hearing the news of his capture, two local long distance runners were talking and one of them said, I could have covered 100 miles in that amount of time. And so the Barkley Marathons were born. The Barkley Marathons, it's uh, five loops of a distance between 20 and 26 miles. So it's every year, it's, it's not exactly the same, but it happens in the Frozen Head State Park uh, in the Tennessee mountains. It's about, so it ends up being 100 to 130 miles. Again, depending on the course, they change the course every year. The runners have 60 hours to finish five loops. Since its inception in 1986, there have been 35 races, 1,400 runners, only 18 finishes out of 1,400 runners, and only 15 people. Uh, there's, I think one guy has finished it three times. There are many different, if you kind of follow running or kind of ultra marathoning. There are all these like interesting races all over the world, but the people who have participated in all of those races say hands down, the Barkley marathons are unparalleled in how difficult they are. Why do I share all of this? If you get a chance to see this docu documentary, you will see the physical and the psychological toll that this race takes, takes on all of its participants. And if we want to affirm the testimony of scripture, both from our passage here at the beginning of Hebrews 12 and from many other places, 
that the Christian life is like a race, then we can begin to appreciate the challenges before us, not as something random and something to be avoided, but as part of the course that God has set before us. While throwing in the towel after one loop, which most people do if they even finish one loop, may seem appealing, there is motivation for us to keep on running. And that's what this text is all about. So the title of the message, if you see there in the worship guide, is Finish Strong. And over the next four, these four weeks here as we finish Hebrews, Finish Strong is kind of going to be our, our main theme, right? And we're going to see different ways to do that. So today, it's Finish Strong by running with your eyes fixed on Jesus. So let's see how we are to do that. Passage here begins with an important word, therefore. The word therefore is used repeatedly throughout Hebrews. In some of the best English translations, it's used between 21 and 25 times, the word therefore. And remember, this book, this letter, we have argued that it was probably written as a sermon, is filled with instructions and exhortations. So there's a section where the author will tell us some things that are true, and then usually the next section, which is the exhortation telling us what we are to do, begins with a therefore, right? Like, here's what's true. Here's who God is. Here's what he has done. Therefore, here's what you're supposed to do, right? So we're coming into that section here. Uh, chapter 11 has been this instruction, this information about the Old Testament saints who walked by faith. We're told at the end of chapter 11 that they looked forward and they didn't receive the promises of the new covenant or the promises of Christ in their lifetime, but we have received those promises. And as they looked forward, so do we look forward until the day when we will all be made perfect in glory at the return of Christ. So chapter 11 closes with a note of longing and anticipation. So it's very fitting here then that Chapter 12 op opens with this word, therefore. Our author is going to unpack what it looks like to run the race of the Christian life in verses 1 through 4. And notice the imagery that he uh, employs here. Now, this would have been familiar imagery for the original audience. The ancient Olympic Games were thought to have begun around 776 BC, so already been in existence for over 800 years at this point. The imagery here is of a stadium full of cheering crowds. This is what we are meant to picture when we think about being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, there's some debate here among scholars whether these witnesses are actually cheering us on or we are just looking to them, but either way, it is a picture of those who have gone before us and who have finished the race. That's what the encouragement is from chapter 11, that this cloud of witnesses is people who have already finished this race before us. Now we turn to the actual running part of the race. How are we to run? And that's really where the exhortation comes in in this passage. We're given both positive and negative encouragements. In other words, there's something that we should positively do and something that we should do so as to avoid negative results. So we're supposed to do something positively and then kind of negatively do some things to avoid negative results. 
So these things correspond then with faith, positively, what we are to do by faith, and then repentance, negatively, what we are to turn from. Our author starts with the negative first. Look at the middle of chapter uh, verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The weight here are things that are unnecessarily burdening us from running the race. I've been at the downtown YMCA uh, and seen a guy on a treadmill. Maybe you guys have been there and seen this guy, but he's on the treadmill with a big backpack on, right? He's, he's got this extra weight on. My guess, I haven't asked him, but he's probably training for a race. He's probably training for some type of event, and he's wearing this bag for the extra weight to help him in training. I can almost guarantee you when he gets to the race, he's not going to be wearing that bag, right? He's going to want to throw off that extra weight. In the Barkley Marathons, they have to wear a small backpack for food and water and some essential items that they might need for survival. Maybe some of them train with a bigger bag, but the point is, you can't run with this extra baggage, right? They need something to, to be running over 100 miles, but it's very minimal, right? They have this tiny little bag with just the essential things that they need because they can't be carrying all of that extra weight. Now, there is some debate about whether this weight in and of itself is necessarily sinful, uh, like the part that comes after it, talking about the sin which clings so closely. Uh, some scholars think that this can be anything that hinders us from running. So even neutral things that might not be in and of themselves sinful. So as we think about that, about maybe some weights that we might be carrying, what, what might that be for us? Some extra weights that we are carrying around that are impeding our ability to run the Christian race. Maybe it's some hobbies that we're spending time on. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some financial pursuits. Now, this is not a call to asceticism. This is not saying, well, the only way that you can run the Christian life and throw off these weights is you need to commit to being a monk or a nun, and you need to go off into the mountains, right? And you need to live in some, some commune, right? And, and not be around other people. Well, that is, that is not what this is calling for. A closer walk with Jesus is not just done by minimalism. But this is a recognition that even the best things in life can hinder our walk with Jesus. These weights might be, again, things that in and of themselves aren't bad things. So we ought to constantly be evaluating how our race is going in this regard in terms of these weights, asking what is it that might be weighing me down. And also we don't run this race independent of one another. God has placed us on this course in this time in history next to one another. Look around. Just look around you right now in this, in this room. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are your teammates in this race. We are here to help one another lay aside the weights that might slow us down. And we are here to call one another out when we are in sin. When those weights, which again, might not necessarily be bad things, become bad things, right? The imagery that is used here, when it says the, kind of transitioning to this next part, when it says the sin which clings so closely is probably of the long robe that men would have worn that would not have been suitable 
for athletic competition, okay? If I want to go home and go for a run today, I'm probably taking this thing off, right? This is not suitable for any type of athletic activity. Some translations where it says um, sin which clings so closely say the sin which easily entangles, okay? Again, if I go out and try to run in this, I'm going to get tripped up. I'm either going to step on it or it's going to get caught between my legs and I'm going to do a face plant. So that's what this imagery is here of sin that is entangling. It's something that's close to you. Those things that trip us up are to be laid aside or to be put away, as Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians. James and Peter also use this language in reference to sinful ways that need to be put away or to be taken off. In Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Paul tells Christians to put off or to lay aside, same word here, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, literally he's saying here, to clothe yourself. So you're to, you're to take something off and then you're to put something on. He says to put on the new self. So put off or, or take off the old self and put on, clothe yourself with the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the question for us is, are we properly dressed for the race? Meaning, are we putting our sin to death and turning from it in repentance and figuratively taking it off, throwing it off so that it doesn't trip us up? While the weights in our life may not have been sinful things, the sins that cling so closely and easily entangle us clearly are. And this isn't always really necessarily the big things either. When you think about getting tripped up when you run, you're not getting tripped up if you're going to run a a, a race. Like you're, You're not getting tripped up by a huge boulder because you see it coming, right? You see this boulder in the middle of your path. You're going to go around it. What are you going to get tripped up by? The little root that is sticking up that you catch your foot on that you don't even see. Or you're not going to get tripped up when there's a big log across the trail, right? You see the log coming, so you step over the log, and then you start running again, and then there's a little walnut, and you step on it, and you roll your ankle, right? It's those little things that we aren't aware of or that we're not looking for. And it's probably these little things, the things that are brewing in our hearts, the things that we don't always allow others to see, the jealousy, the covetousness, the lust in our hearts. And when I say little things, I'm not saying little in terms of that those things aren't significant. Clearly they are. But the way we look at them, the way we kind of minimize them and justify them, we're like, oh, that's not a, that's not a big bowler. That's not a big log, right? It's just this little thing. But those things are the things that trip us up. Obviously, these things, these inward things, they can manif- manifest themselves outwardly. And that is when we are to call each other to account to pray for one another, to encourage one another in the race. So brothers and sisters, let us be a people whose Christian lives are marked by repentance. May the world see us instead of, and instead of saying, well, there go those proud Christians. May they say, may they say instead, there go those people who really acknowledge their sin, who don't take those little things for granted. So that's the negative aspect. Now we come to what we are to do positively. 
look at, again, verse 1 there. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The main verb here in these, these verses is let us run. And then everything else describes how we are to run. Most closely connected right after let us run is this phrase with endurance. This has been a dominant theme since chapter 10. After six chapters from chapter four to 10, six chapters of reminding us of the significance of Jesus' priesthood, our author turned a corner in chapter 10 to begin applying those truths to Christians as we are exhorted to draw near to Jesus and to embrace our suffering. We were told in chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, he said, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, i.e. finished the race, you may receive what is promised, everlasting life with Jesus, the one to whom we are to look. Some translations here say fixing our eyes on Jesus. Even though we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, they are not our motivation. We don't ultimately look to them. There is a sense in where we do look to them for encouragement, but ultimately we are not fixing our eyes on them. We look to Jesus. And we shouldn't be disappointed after finishing chapter 11 that our author doesn't say, just be like them, right? Just be like Moses. Just be like David. They looked forward in faith to the coming of Jesus. We look back in faith and forward to his return when we will all be made perfect together. Again, that's what the end of chapter 11 is teaching. Now, Jesus, the one who, to whom we are to look, is called here the founder and the perfecter of our faith, meaning that he's the one who gets us in the race. He's the founder of the race, and he's the one who helps us to keep running and to finish the race. He is the perfecter of our faith. It is not us. Something else that I think is worth noting here is that I don't think this race is a given. Meaning, not everyone is in the race. The race here is the Christian life. This is not just talking about life in general. You are either on the course because the founder of your faith, Jesus, has granted you faith and repentance, and he has opened your eyes to see the race that is set before you, or you are running on your own, right? You're doing your own thing, and you are not on the course. If that is you, you need to hear Jesus' words. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about Pilgrim's Progress and entering in through, through the door. And there are all these along the way, right? There's all these people who are trying to get in through this different entrance. And the whole point is there's only one way to get in. There's only one way to the celestial city, right? There's only one way to get on the right path can't jump over the gate you can't come around you know in, in some other way like people try to there's only one way to get in the barkley marathons only allows 40 participants per year and the app the application process is very 
highly secretive and it's it's a fact i'm not going to get into it you can look it up it's just this hilarious kind of fascinating thing but the invitation to participate in the christian life is not secretive you don't have to know someone who knows someone who knows someone who can you know get you the address so you can mail in your application and all of this crazy stuff like the barkley marathons jesus has clearly made known to us how to get in how to enter the race the entrance fee to the race is his blood his sacrificial life in your place so that you might enter the race come in enter the race it's free right you don't have to do anything you don't have to prepare beforehand right if you again talking about the marathon thing if you're someone who in real life who has never run in your life and you hate running you can't go line up and run a marathon you could go line up and run a 5k but there's no way you're going to line up and run a marathon and then if the christian life is a marathon it's not that way for us right most of us when we came to christ it's not because we had been training so hard for this marathon of the christian life and we did all these things and and jesus came to us and said good job you've been training really hard for years you you deserve a spot in the marathon no that's exactly it's opposite of that right we were sitting on the couch chilling out binging on netflix eating you know twinkies and whatever and like we weren't ready for the race and jesus came in and said come on enter you're in that's what the middle of verse two teaches us jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame he ran the race ahead of us he ran it in our place and the joy that was set before him was doing the will of the father and accomplishing our redemption he endured the cross for us so that we don't have to he endured the wrath of god and took our punishment so that we don't have to and he died the death that we deserved so that we don't have to and he now is seated at the right hand of the throne of god enthroned as king over the whole universe this theme of jesus being seated at his father's throne at his father's right hand occurs multiple times in hebrews the first one is in the opening verses that tell us of opening verses of chapter 1 that tell us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember again we saw there in that just in in this how Jesus is our prophet priest and king upholds the universe by the word of his power as our prophet. He made purification for sins as our priest and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high as our king this is meant to encourage us in this race that we call the christian life we are to look with the eyes of faith to the end of the race we are to look and we are to see jesus sitting on his throne again we are not to look at ourselves we are not to look ultimately at those who have gone before us we are to look forward with the eyes of faith and see Jesus at the end of the race sitting at the right hand of the father i love the quote that is on the front of your worship guide if you haven't already looked at it you, you can look at it later but there's just there's one line in this kind of bigger quote from robert murray mcshane he says for every look at yourself take 10 looks at christ 
Meaning, in some sense, right, we do need to look at ourselves in terms of how are we doing, like self-evaluation, asking the Lord to search our hearts. But for every look that we take at ourselves, we are to take 10 looks at Christ. Meaning, don't sit here and, and dwell on how you're doing and how well you're doing in the race and how much you can do. Look to Jesus because he's the one who already ran the race ahead of us. He's the one that motivates you. He's the one that strengthens you to run the race. Looking to yourself is not going to, to help. Also, we are not meant to look to those running the race beside us. I told you earlier to, to look around, right? To look at each other. But ultimately, we don't look to each other, right? We do need to encourage each other. But ultimately, we all look to Jesus together. Don't look to each other. Don't look to me or to your elders. Don't look to your membership or to your participation at Livingstone Church. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't need each other. Of course we need each other. But we are not each other's ultimate motivation. Jesus is. And that's what verse 3 is really driving home here. We are told to consider. This word is in the Greek is a little bit stronger than how it gets translated in the English. We, we could say, consider carefully. This means to, to take some time to really think about it. Consider carefully the one who endured not only the cross, as we saw earlier, not only the wrath of God, but he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. If you think that this race is too hard and that being a Christian in this world is too big of a challenge because of the hostility of a sinful world, that comes with the territory. Okay, Don't lose heart. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus. That is the way that we that we don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Because, as verse 4 says, you're still alive. You're still in this race. You haven't yet suffered to the point of bloodshed. Perhaps that day will come, but it's not here yet. So don't throw in the towel. I want to go back to the Barkley Marathons. 15 out of 1,400 people have finished the race in 35 years. 1%. 1% finish rate. And while this is a, fa a fascinating look at human endurance, the near impossibility of finishing is not how we are to look at the Christian life. I want to close with two short passages from Paul that reiterate what we've seen here today. Again, this idea of in Hebrews, of finishing the race, of not throwing in the towel in the midst of, of persecution, in the midst of this temptation uh, to quit. That's a, such a huge theme here. And Paul uh, picks up on, on some of this running language as well in two different passages. The first, in the first, he's writing to the church in Corinth. This is a church that was a total disaster, filled with all kinds of sin, all kinds of division. Despite their issues, though, Paul does not hit them over the head with the try harder gospel, but with the reality of the gospel of grace and the beauty of suffering for Christ's sake. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, after explaining that the treasure of the gospel is carried by us who are mere jars of clay, Paul says in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4 that as, a, as grace extends to more and more people, and increases thanks, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. So God uses our suffering witness to bring others to himself and bring glory to his name. Now, here is Paul's don't throw in the towel encouragement, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this maybe this weight, right? This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we don't look to what is seen, we look to what is unseen. Finally then, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his young disciple just before Paul is about to go to his death. He encourages Timothy to press on in the ministry of preaching the gospel, even though he tells Timothy that people will turn away from listening to the truth and that they will wander off into myths. Listen to Paul, how Paul views the last leg of his race. 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, this isn't only about Paul, right? We're not just, we don't look to this and say, well, yeah, Paul was this super apostle, right? No, he says, not only to me will the Lord, the righteous judge, award this crown, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Brothers and sisters, let us look to Jesus and let us love his appearing and let us consider carefully who he is and what he has done for us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Amen. Let us pray. God, we need this constant reminder in our Christian lives. This reminder that it's so easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put them on other things. It's so easy to get tripped up by our sin. It's so easy to look for affirmation from those around us, to search for our identity in this world and in the things of this world. God, help us, help us to consider carefully, help us to, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured the race, the one who went to the cross and laid down his life for us. Thank you that our endurance does not come from our own ability to train, our own ability to know the right things, do the right things. 
God, the endurance to run this life comes from your spirit, whom you have graciously granted to your children. God, give us the strength to be those who, who put off the old self, who put off the sinful ways of our past, and who put on the new self, who put on Christ, who walk in humility in this world, who live as salt and light so that those around us might see that we are truly followers of Christ, that they might know us by our love. God, as we think about this season we're in as a church, as we think about finishing strong here these next few weeks as we head into the summer, God, would you be glorified in us and through us? Would you work in us and through us to do your will? God, to glorify you in all that we do. We thank you for your sustaining grace. We thank you for your love for your people. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.